What's going on, everybody? This is AC, and today we are in tune with a legend, a legend, y'all, man, a mixtape DJ legend. Uh, we got him on Drink Chance, man, and today we got DJ EFN. What's going on, man? What's good, man? What's good, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, thank you for, you know what I'm saying, again, giving me your time today and, and to join this podcast. It's huge for us. Um, so we're going to start, um, we're going to start in the beginning of all this, because we all know you from Drink Champs, you know, right. and so where did it start with hip hop? Because we know you're a DJ, a legendary Miami uh, mixtape DJ. So how did how did all that start with the DJing? Like, what's your introduction to hip hop, basically? Because we know you come from Cuban descent and you came over from Cali now, correct? Yeah, yeah. I was born in Los Angeles, uh, moved over to Miami when I was pretty young and was raised out here in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I just fell in love with music, all kinds of music early on. Um, mm -hmm in LA and stuff. And then, and then as I started growing older and getting my own musical taste mm -hmm. and hip hop is like starting to infiltrate more and more on the radio. Um, and, and just around me and, 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 and my friends, mm -hmm. it was just something that at first it was just the music of the time. Like for us, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. you know, we all little kids, we all B boys, we graffiti artists. We, yeah. you know, we, we live in the culture without knowing we live in the culture. Mm. And so, and so at a point, though, as I'm getting older and I'm getting more into, you know, at the time, it's just rap music to me. As I'm getting more and more into rap music, then NWA hits the scene and Public Enemy hits the scene. And those two groups changed everything for me in terms of, like, creating that passion for hip hop. Because at that point, rap music hadn't given me that emotion that those two groups conveyed in their music you know like mm. anger and social justice and just all this emotion that i didn't i didn't know that existed that could come out of rap music at the time right and so those two groups were pivotal for me to get passionate about hip-hop and then just in general starting to understand the culture as a culture and already realizing that i was already living the culture mm. um it just even made me more and more interested and passionate about it and then you fast forward a little bit longer you know i'm in junior high now and then i'm getting get into high school and and I'm gravitating towards you know I couldn't rap everybody wanted to be a rapper you know you, you right if I you, you try to rap so right. I, wasn't, I wasn't a rapper mm -hmm. and I was I wasn't even a good graffiti artist I wasn't a good b-boy so <laughs> I just did all the elements just to do them because it was the thing to do right so I started gravitate towards a DJ when I started seeing music videos or if I went to like the skating ring DJs were playing and if I if I got to see a concert and I saw the DJs I was just like man that the, the dude behind the scenes that's backing up the artist, that's the dude right there. Or the dude right. that's playing at the skating ring that's controlling the mood of the whole skating ring. I'm like, that's the dude right there. And so mm -hmm. that's why I started to get passionate about like, okay, I want to be that. And right. then it just became a timetable to like, okay, I couldn't afford turntables, but eventually, you know, got to the point where I was able to afford turntables and start DJing. Mm. So do you feel like NWA was an early influence because you were from that side of the country? Um, were you on that side from Cali? Was that like a thing where you were already listening to music from over there? Or was it just the impact globally that NWA had on? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was because I'm from over there, but I think that because I'm from LA, there is definitely, I have a different taste of music than mm -hmm. like maybe some of the friends that I had at the time, you know, or the people around me or even people in Miami. I just had a little bit more of an eclectic uh, you know, taste for hip hop and, and, and maybe it was because I'm from LA or maybe I was seeking it because I knew I was from LA. So I was looking mm -hmm. more towards the West for some stuff, 
But uh, and you know, I would go to LA every year. My my family's out there still to this day. So I oh, would okay. my parents, I would visit. My my family lived in Inglewood. I bu- I bought my first uh, you know, NWA and Ice Cube tapes, you know, over there in Inglewood and South Central wow. in the mall out there, and, and I would visit my family. And so, you know, I would come back with those those things, you know, just like I had a lot of friends that were from New York and Miami mm-hmm. and they would go to New York and come back. I used to say you, you recharged your battery in New York, you know, they come back. <laughs> yo, B, right. yo, B, what's up, B? And I'm like, all right, and I'll go to L.A. and I come back recharged. So, you know, but it was cool because we all came together as just hip hop kids and we're mm. like kind of like trading cards. Like, yo, I got this tape in in L.A. Oh, I got this tape in New York and mm. you know, they had the new Master Ace and I had, the you know, the new Ice Cube. And it was kind of cool to bring that all together. And now kids today don't even understand that. Even even me, that's a little because I'm like I'm 93. So right. I was more into CDs, but even tapes back then, like people don't know that because now you just go on your phone and you just look at the streaming like you right. had to literally go places and grab it and be able to exchange it. And well, we didn't you didn't know music came out like the way that we found out about new new artists or new albums is you just went to the store we would go directly to the rap section of the store Mm -hmm. and whatever was brand new you know if you could cop it you copped it i mean we used to i used to jack a lot of tapes i didn't have a lot of money (laughs) Uh so me and my boys would go in there and rip off the sensors and put you know in our pocket but uh that's the way we got our music man yeah whatever was brand new and what was dope about that is that you took anything that was new because there wasn't that many releases at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So you would take whatever was new on the rap section, take it, listen to it up and down, read all the, all the, you know, the production credits and then decided this shit was dope or it was whack. Right. You wow. know, you didn't go off of social media or all these people telling you or this, that you literally took it, listened to it. I, right, this is whack. <laughs> you, know what I'm mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this shit is dope. And then that's right. how you, you know, you, you went through shit. And that's really a thing. Like a lot of people like music because it's pushed in front of them and it's right. just what they see, what other people like. So it's it's really hard to um, distinguish what's good or not nowadays. But but you mentioned um, being at the skating skating rink or, and, and you've seen the DJs back then. Was it the, the DJs were more of the forefront of hip hop back then, correct? I mean, yes and no. Like, you know, we might be you might be kind of thinking because I know at, at a point everything starts to become old school. So, yeah. so you know, but but for me, you know, old school for me is like yeah, you know, your era, the guys in the in the that were already adults in the 80s and already, you know, coming from the late 70s. And they were doing the park jams and the DJ was everything then mm-hmm. because they were before the MC. The MC right. was the one just bigging up the DJ. And then eventually the MC is like, hold up, I got the mic and I'm in front of the stage. I'm going right. to start to take control. <laughs> So, I mean, yes and no, but what it was is that if you went to a party, if you went to a, a club, you know, when I was young, I just went to the skating ring or mm-hmm. I would go to a house party mm-hmm. and the DJ was the man because, you know, we wasn't really having MCs at the time, you know, spitting at, the, you know, at those things. So right. just seeing the DJ, you know, with the sound system. And then that was another thing too, like, especially big in Miami was the sound system, you know, a lot of the yep. Caribbean reggae de- dancehall DJs, the bass DJs, it was all about having the big sound systems. And that was another way to battle a DJ by how big your sound system was. Right. And <laughs> just seeing that, that was like, yeah, that, that they were crucial and key. And you were, they were like the ones that would stand out and, and the DJ was everything. Hmm. So then now you become, now you become a DJ. And what I, what I admire about you the most um, is is how you branded your 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 team. You branded crazy, who's crazy, crazy hood, throughout your whole career, and and that's just something I want to talk about. How did you have such a successful team? How did you guys stick together through? Because a lot of teams don't make it. 
Right. And your team, you guys are strong. You killed the Miami scene. You killed even the East Coast scene down south in general. Like, how do what what helped you guys keep that bond and keep so strong? Man, I mean, first of all, most of my crew, if not all of them, I mean, there's a couple of younger guys. Um, they're all from my friends from high school. So mm. we were just hip hop kids in high school as just fans of the, of the culture and, and living the culture. So we came out of that. And, and then it was my bright idea to say, hey, let's try to do this more seriously and put on for the city. Right. A lot of my crew, you know, at that time, we were a huge crew, like 20 of us. Mm -hmm. Um a lot of cats were like, nah, I don't see it. I don't see it from Miami. Wow. I don't see it from our area of Miami. Like, I just don't see it. So, boom, they they kind of went their way. And then the few diehard hip-hop heads are like, I, I'm with it. I'll, I'll roll with it. Let's see where right. it goes. So that's that's the type of friendship. We're a brotherhood. Mm. And um, what happened is what we realized at a point, and I, I hope I can speak for everybody, is that this shit wasn't going to pay the bills for everybody. Right. You know, like it, like reality hit. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens to a lot of the crews that we kind of came up with these crews, you know, they, they, you know, they were, they had like a pivotal moment where they thought they were going to blow up and then, you know, they put out a record, it got a little buzz, but then like the money that was coming after that wasn't there and it wasn't consistent. So these crews kind of fell apart. You know, they had infighting. Mm -hmm. My crew was different. They, you know, a lot of guys were like, you know what, this shit ain't going to pay the bills for everybody. So some guys went back to school, went to college and got degrees. Other guys opened up businesses and restaurants. And what happened is instead of leaving the crew to do that stuff, they stayed, they stayed in as a supportive, you know, act. And they were oh. like all supporting and they were still a part. And they're still to this day, a part of the team. Right. So the, they're, so what happens is it made room for the guys who were like, nah, I still, this is what I want to do for my life. You know, they could stick with it. And then the money that could come in could support a, the few. Right. And then, rest of the guys were like all right i'm gonna go make my money out there right i'm still a part of the team and that's what kept us together the whole time wow so so did that actually help you out with them going to college like entering college radio through them out there i know you did your own thing with college radio but was it more yeah. of a network with them no no the college radio thing was funny it was a uh, it was more like i deboed my way into college radio <laughs> I, I, my there was a big uh hip-hop show in miami at a um called the hip-hop shop and um, mm -hmm. it was at the University of Miami. We used to listen to it growing up. And then we used to go over there to promote because we had a you know independent record label. We had a group. We would go there, promote it. All the locals did. And eventually I got cool with the people that ran the station. Well, the show, that show. Right. And I was like, yo, I'll bring my... They didn't have a mix, like a mix show. They, it was just a, a person playing records. And okay. I was like, yo, I'll bring my turntables. Let me do a mix on here you know, during the show. And they were like, mm -hmm. all right, cool. And then I would just bring my turns and I wow. just eboed my way. And I didn't go to UM, you know, or none of that. <laughs> and then I did a lot of pirate radio at the same time around that time. And, yep. and so that that's how I got into the college radio thing. So basically you went, you went in there and you're like, all right, your guys is just, you guys suck. Like I, I can bring the whole thing in here and just make it a bigger thing. And, and yeah, not that they suck. <laughs> they just didn't have that. You know, I'm like, this is, you know, like the mix show was everything, especially at that time. Right. Like, yep. The, the mix live on the air. So I was like, let me, I'll, I was like, yo, I'm gonna do the hard part. I'm gonna bring my turntables over mm. here. I'll bring my selection. And then, you know, and then a segment of the show will be a, a live mix, you know, by DJ EFN. And, and to them, it was worth it. So it works so for everybody. You, so then for the people out there that are struggling to, to get started off and all that. So is this a gig that you got yourself into and it was just something you wanted to do? And were you compensated for this? Or was this a start of your were you growing in this area and just like, I'm going to just put the time in? In which area exactly you, you refer to? In the to? college radio. 
oh, I didn't make a dime off of that. Mm. A lot of the stuff that we've done over the years that I've done, that we as a crew have done has been strictly on like, how do we promote our brand? Mm-hmm. I the last thing I tried to do is is do something because of the money of it, mm-hmm. and and that's what I think also set us apart. Like I was always looking for the opportunity of how do we make our brand look good out there. Let's let's spread. Let's network. Um, because I realized that that was worth something down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so every a lot of this, I would say like eighty to ninety percent of the stuff that we were doing for at least a decade, we didn't make a dime off of. We were putting money into it. I love that. And that's so good for someone like you to say that because I try to preach this stuff with people like, ah, you know what I'm saying? But someone at your stature saying that, like, it just validates everything that I talk about. So I appreciate you saying that. But now you were growing up in a DJ in Miami. There's a bunch of other DJs. So you're growing up in at the same time kind of as DJ Khaled. Yeah, Khaled. Actually, Khaled. I remember when Khaled came to Miami, mm-hmm. Orlando. Yeah. Okay. And then how was that? Was it more of like a competition thing when he came or was it like you guys had your own lanes it was just going straight up i mean all you know it's hip-hop so all the the djs the mcs it was always competitive it was right. you know there was little rivalries there was the the thing about what i decided to do is because there was dudes that did the club shit and then there was dudes that did you know there wasn't a lot of uh, commercial radio so pirate radio in, in college radio was the big thing so there was the guys that okay. did the the big pirate radio shows so what i said i was like i right, ain't nobody really doing the the mixtape stuff. And then there was guys that there were turntablism winning. You know, we have one of the biggest world-class DJs, DJ Craze, right from my hood. Okay. Who's won all the biggest competitions in the world. So I took the the route of mixtapes to kind of be in that lane that nobody was really in mm-hmm. and kind of took it. But still, everybody was kind of like competitive. So some guys would, oh, he's doing mixtapes. They jump into the mixtape game. Right. Oh, he's doing radio. I'm going to jump. So like me and Khaled, there was a point where I had, I was at a pirate radio station and the pirate radios were usually in, a, in an apartment building. Mm, and so okay. my the apartment we were in, where the stage was at, was here. And the next floor up was his pirate radio station. Oh, wow. And we would, like, literally, like, talk shit to each other on the on the balconies and shit. No way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, there was the little rivalries. But, you know, as you got older and, 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 and people, whoever stuck with it, mm-hmm. eventually you found camaraderie with, like, yo, we all from the same hood. We all from right. the same city. We putting on for the city. Let's mm-hmm. let's show that unity and let's, you know, let's leave all that shit behind us. Right. Exactly. No, and that's dope, man, to, to just have two both Miami legend DJs like just going back and forth. Yeah, like that's that's yeah. dope. But um, let's talk about the mixtapes because um I Googled you um and said that your first mixtape you dropped was in ninety-three. And it also said that was the same year that you graduated high school. Same so year how did started that- the company, yep. So right when you graduated, you started the company. Yeah, I conceived it my senior year of high school. Like I knew I wasn't, I wasn't getting no scholarship for school or anything like mm-hmm. that. I was going to end up going to community college. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just brainstorming what I wanted to do. And, and that's where I conceived the company, Crazy Up Productions. And I started, uh, I was able to get my, my hands on some some turntables right after that. Um, and yeah, and the, put the crew together and then we launched in 93. That's crazy. And to and to think um, when you were first doing it, did you think you were going to have that many ser- that many mixtapes out? I think, what is it, 42 mixtapes? Yeah, volumes. Yeah, volumes. Nah, I didn't. Nah, man. I was really, it was one day at a time, man. I didn't even think at one point I had this one crate of records that was like a quarter full, maybe 20 records in there, vinyl records. Mm. I was like, man, 
I'm gonna, I, one day I'm gonna fill this crate up. To fill it would have been like 50 records. Right. You know so I'm like, oh man, one day I'm gonna fill this crate up. I mean, got to the point where I started getting serviced by all the record labels, and I and, and in front of me, I even got some of my records. Still, I had mm-hmm. thirty thousand records. You know, like, wow. <laughs> so I, yeah, I, I never, I never thought it would get that far. But at the same token, I wasn't doubting. I was just trying not to think too ahead mm. and just go tape by tape. Because each tape, I looked at it like, like it was putting together a compilation album and then mm-hmm. releasing it like an album. You know, so right. that's the way that that whole. So I put a lot into it. Mm-hmm. My crew put a lot into it. We would go. We would go and sell out the trunk of our cars, you know, a T-shirt with a tape. We would yep. go to the flea markets and we would put them in the flea markets. And I was cold calling people and selling masters. And, and, you know, it was a lot of work. Wow. you were So you were basically a business because a lot of people think they got to go to school for all the school is important. But it's right. like people think like, oh, I got to go to school to do this and that. But you had the whole business mind. Like when you were 17, 16 years old. Yeah, out the gate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. I had a little bit of, I mean, my father wasn't in my life very much. Like mm-hmm. he was in and out of my life and, and we've had a rough relationship throughout our life, but he was an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, and, you know, he was a Cuban immigrant. He was a, a Vietnam vet, Marine. He had, you know, he had all kinds of issues, mm, but wow. he still, he still was able to be an entrepreneur. I mean, but he would like fail at business and then he'd bounce back and pop right. out with some new shit and then fail at that and yeah. bounce back and, he was like, you know, hood rich, then broke, and then hood rich. <laughs> like it was like, but it was still like, even though he, we had a fucked up relationship and, and a lot of things weren't good with him, I still saw that as some kind of, you know, like inspiration where there was someone I knew that that was an entrepreneur. And then I also looked at all the 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 landscape of the artists, like 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 Ruthless Records being an independent label, Luke Records that was in my backyard. Um, mm-hmm. you know, then you see like Master P popping up on the scene and the way that Wu Tang came together. And what I yeah. started to do is, and I'm reading all this stuff in like the Source magazine, and I'm getting, you know, an idea of what they're doing, and I'm just trying to take little things that resonate with me right. that I can apply to my crew, and that's what we did. And I was really into like, okay, we young dudes, but I want to be taken serious. So we used to have meetings and we used to pay dues because we didn't have money. So everybody had to put like 20 bucks a month. Mm. And, you know, and we would, and you had to put in your, your hours of promotion, like go out in the streets. And if you didn't put in your hours, you got reprimanded in the crew. Mm. So, you know, to me, that was the only way we were going to, we were going to get anywhere if we were organized and serious and, and taken serious. Oh man, I love that. And that goes back to the question about the the team. Like there was structure. There was structure to it. And that's that's just good to hear too. A lot of people because a lot of people that I'm I'm in this lane where um it's more like artist development and like people look at me to let you know get answers. And it's like you're saying this is perfect for them to hear because it starts with the people you're around. And if you take it serious, they're gonna take it serious with you. Absolutely. So I love that. And then you also had a storefront as well. Mm-hmm. You had the, the whole store. So you crazy were just goods. Yeah. crazy goods, just full blown business, man. You got a store. Were you pushing your um like mixtapes out of there, obviously, and merch? Oh, and everything? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the store, again, was just like an idea to to push the brand more and do something and pivot in a way. We the truth is we didn't know anything about retail sale, you know, sales right. and selling and storefront shit. Mm-hmm. So it was all new to us, but I was like, all right, fuck it. Everything's new to us. So right. <laughs> exactly. let's just dive into it. So my shout out to my homie Eddie Giggs. Some people might know him on Drink Champs as Eddie the Ass Eater. Oh but, yeah. Um, <laughs> so Eddie yeah. Giggs, me and him came up with the idea of the store and and 
and we put this store together called Crazy Goods in 97. Mm. And uh, yeah, we had a record pool in there. We sold, you know, all the hip hop gear at the time. We sold uh, markers and black books for the graffiti artists and, the, and, the, and you know, all the everything, man, like the tips. And, and it was just, it was a dope ass little spot. And we had it till, till 2000. That's dope. And that's why I said I love your branding because even I, I, I seen an old video on YouTube uh, when you did a video with Denzel Curry and mm-hmm. Gunplay and yeah. just guys slapping stickers, who's crazy everywhere, slapping stickers. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it's just it's just inspiring to see stuff like that. So the branding is very important, obviously, because it took you to this point where you meet Noriega. Right. How, do, how does all that happen? And, and first, yeah, let's go with how did you meet Noriega? So the store Crazy Goods was mm-hmm. the place where we actually got to link. And um, at that time period, when artists came into town, they need they would usually go to stores to do like in stores to promote that they're going to be at a club or something that night. Right. Um, and they would go to either record stores or if there was like a hip hop type of store, they'd go to the hip hop store. And so, you know, we were one of the few hip hop stores in Miami and my homie, uh, Phil, who now is the big, you know, he was a part of Live on Sundays, you know, the, one of the biggest clubs yep. promoters in, in the world. He he was dealing with Nori. It was Nori promoting the CNN album, but but Capone was locked up. Right. Yep. So he was on a promo run and he brought him to my store. And I had this digital four track that I used to get freestyles for for my mixtapes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yo, I need, you know, can you do a you know, freestyle for me? He laced me with a bunch of freestyles. You wow. know, to us, CNN Capone Noriega was already buzzing heavy right and the, the, also the fact that he was kind of spitting the Spanish lingo mm-hmm. you know for Latinos we hear any kind of Spanish we're like hold on this dude Latino like <laughs> in like, hip-hop yeah. you know so <laughs> right. I was like yo and then he you know his you know his half Puerto Rican and yeah and so we, we just we just hit it off man and and from that point on we we stayed connected and we did so much stuff like I brought him for his first solo like a legit solo show with the NRE album we went on tour. He put my group on tour with him. Um, I went on, you know, I've been his tour DJ around the world. Like we've done so much uh, since then, man, but that's where it started in, in crazy goods. Wow. And yeah, just to have a relationship like that to just a natural thing where he's like, bring all your people with you. And we yeah. just all going on tour. Yeah. Yeah, man. He would be like, he'd, he'd hit us up, you know, cause everybody thinks if you go to Florida, that's Miami, which it's not, but he'd right. be like, I'm in Orlando, come through. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, that's like four hours away right. exactly but he's like yo come through i'll put y'all on stage and you know we wasn't gonna hesitate for that right. opportunity so we head up there and we had nowhere to stay and he would have the suite and he'd be like yo just stay in the other part of the suite wow. so we'd all be sleeping on the floor and shit in the suite <laughs> the whole wow. crew yeah so that's yeah dope. always love man yeah he's definitely a good spirit man that's that's a good person to have around you and that's what brought y'all to obviously you guys um um had your first radio show you had together um, the militant, um, militant and crazy raw radio. Yep. Yeah. So you do that. And then now you get, you get past that point and you're doing podcasting yourself or did you keep doing it by yourself after that? And Nori went, Oh no. So what, what happened was, so we were doing that, that Sirius XM show it was on XM and Sirius XM. And we both got busy cause we didn't make a dime off of that. Right. Off the Sirius XM show. We yeah. just did it for fun. And it was mm-hmm. in my studio here in Kendall. Oh, and wow. so I got busy because I was managing a group called Mayday, which that plaque is is a is from them with yeah. Kendrick and uh, and Tech Nine. And so they went, they were busy touring, so I was busy with them. Nori just put out a new album with Capone, a new CNN album. So they went to Europe to tour, mm-hmm. and we just got busy, so we stopped doing it. But I was like, man, I want to do something like this. But you know, it's it's funny because I always forget. You kind of reminded me 
when people ask me, I did start a thing on um on Dash Radio. Mm, okay. Um, it was damn. What was the name of our show? Jesus, I forget right now. Yeah, because there was a gap in Google where it's, it was like, it was like, okay, you guys did that. Then you went to CBS. It was like, there was nothing in between. It. Yeah, no. So I started doing that Dash radio show, which I can't remember the name of it. I have beer brain right now. But no, anyway, it's fine. <laughs> so I was doing that for a minute, which is, you know, kind of like, kind of like podcasting. Mm-hmm. But the whole time, though, that we weren't pod, you know, like from when we were doing our SiriusXM show, my homie Godfrey, who was like doing a gaming podcast called Gamertag Radio. He was mm-hmm. always advocating about podcasting to me. You mm-hmm. guys should podcast. But podcasting wasn't big to the hip hop community. It looked like yep. it was like some nerdy computer shit. To people. <laughs> right, exactly. So when I tried to, I mean, I, I could see it. So I was like, yo, no, worry. Let, let's, and he didn't, he couldn't see it. He didn't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Like most people did. You know, it wasn't just yep. him. Most people didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. So I kept pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And finally, you know, I'm making a long story short. A couple mm-hmm. years later, he finally, you know, got on board with the idea. And at the same time, my boy Godfrey, he, his podcast got signed to CBS Radio, so he okay. plugged us with CBS Radio, mm. and we had, we did some pilot episodes. They loved the concept, and the rest is history. But simultaneously, going back, the name Drink Champs was something that I that I my my crew would say. We would we were saying in the studio all the time oh, around wow. Nori, around ourselves, it, because we were big drinkers. So it's like you couldn't mm-hmm. handle your liquor, like you're not a drink champ. Right. <laughs> it was just something like people could probably search. We've hashtagged that shit for years. Wow. Right. Whenever me and my boys are drinking, hashtag drink champ or drink champs. I think we would right. just say drink champ. Mm-hmm. And um, I just thought it was such a dope like name that I just said, man, let me see if anybody owns the dot com of this. And mm. nobody owned the dot com. And I'm talking about like early on. <laughs> right. I'm like, man, nobody owns this shit. It's crazy. This could be a bar. It could be a clothing. Right. Line. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, that's crazy. So I grabbed drinkchamp and drinkchamps.com. And then I grabbed drinkchamps on Instagram whenever it was available, you know, and then Twitter. And I started just grabbing it. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I had my homie. Then I started to think, okay, maybe this could be the name of the podcast. I would tell Nori and he wasn't really too sure about the name at first. Yeah. So I told my homie Scam, who's a legend in the game. Mm -hmm. Scam did the artwork on the first Eminem album. He did the Tribe Called Quest Beats Rhyme and Life. He's a legend, so mm-hmm. he did the logo for us, and I pres- and when Nori was finally ready to do the show, I'm like, look, man, here's everything. Here's the logo. I got the dot com. It's called Drink Champs. Let's run. And he, when he's ready, he's ready. He's like, let's do it. Wow. So that's not something y'all see when, you know, from a viewer standpoint, when you watch it, it's like, okay, they came up with the show and it just happened like that. Like, no. it's just something that's been manifesting for years and years. Absolutely, because if you listen to those first. XM and Sirius XM shows. There's a couple clips on YouTube. Mm-hmm. It's the it sounds like it looks and sounds like drink champs. Yeah, we're drinking Tiger Bone. We announce ourselves the same way. We got our homies there. We're all getting drunk. We're talking shit. We just didn't have as many guests because we were down south here in Kendall, in my area, and and we were just it was too early. Like not too many people were up on going and doing interviews like that. Right. Uh, with you know whatever they didn't understand what we were doing anyway. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah, but it. it it, it was yeah it was it was years in the making man and then and then the podcast platform uh and arena became the perfect catalyst to really take it to the next level yeah man and that and you guys definitely took it to the next level with uh even starting it off with fat joe did you guys have because i heard you guys talk about that you did more before fat joe but i couldn't find any no so day one of of, of the pilot recording mm-hmm. a pilot was kenny anderson Oh, okay. He was okay. the very first guest, but we didn't release that first. 
Mm-hmm. So he's the first recorded guest for Drink Champs. The second okay. day, Fat Joe came through, and then he became the first released episode, Fat Joe. Okay. Kenny Anderson actually became on like the ninth released episode. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now I got a couple of questions about um, about um, Drink Champs. So I hear a lot of times, because um, I watch a lot of you guys' stuff, um, people Appreciate say, it. yeah, no problem. People... Um, refer to you as DJ Effin. Does that ever get on your nerves? Does that, does that I've bother been dealing you? With that. I've been dealing with that so long. <laughs> I, I got skits on my cassette mixtapes uh-huh. where I'm, I intro the shit saying it's not Effin, it's not Efin. <laughs> and you know what's funny? That it'd be people that know me mm-hmm. that say it, and, or people that are in front of me that hear me and say my name in the beginning <laughs> of the show. I just think that people cannot help themselves. It's like, it's like, a, it's something verbal that they can't like they they can't help but say it <laughs> it's like a slang it's like easier to say it's like all right effing yeah exactly <laughs> it's like yeah i would prefer they just say e because my just friends e. call me e <laughs> right. you know but or f i even don't mind f but when you go f in <laughs> i'm like oh come on bro, bro. come on man that's a vodka that's a vodka <laughs> but but you know I, it doesn't really bother me because i'm just so used to it at this point that i'm like mm-hmm. whatever so i was listening to one of your old, old, old mixtapes i forgot to bring this up um and you said on, on you would just scream on there and say, I don't give a fuck where you from. We're from the South. Like, did that ever bring you, did that ever bring you any problems? Like saying that? Cause I know New York was real like strong on, on every hip hop being New York. I mean, we talk about this on Drink Champs a lot. Like mm-hmm. this, this, where Nori doesn't understand that New, there was this thing where New York wasn't like open to the rest of the country. Yeah. Because he's saying, well, he was, but I'm trying to tell him it's not him. <laughs> and it was more so the industry, not necessarily the artists that worked yeah. necessarily against everybody. Mm-hmm. It was like the industry kind of kept to itself up there. Yeah, man, we were always fighting down south for respect. Mm. Like like, like everybody else was. That's why the West went crazy when they went crazy. Yeah. Because when they got in the door, they kicked it down. They're like, fuck that, you know. So that's that's the way that a lot of other regions of the country felt, and the south especially. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were always fighting for respect. You know, people, we always heard people calling us Bama down here, or they didn't, if they, <laughs> if, they if someone had like an, a Southern accent in their rhymes style, they didn't respect the lyrics mm-hmm. when these people were he- more lyrical than, you know, folks, some of the folks up North. Yep. So it's like, that was our thing. Like we had like a chip on our shoulder to prove like, fuck that we from the South because oftentimes artists that didn't, that could make their sound sound like they were from New York or from up North. Right. That were from down south, they would just pretend they weren't from the south just to get a deal. Wow. Or they'd move to, to New York and they would just like, you know, put up this whole persona and not represent where they were from. And that was our whole thing. Like, nah, fuck that, man. We're going to make it from here. We're going to rep it here. It's going to we're going to make it cool here. Like, I remember my crew used to rep Miami and 305 before anybody thought that was the thing to do. Like, it was wow. not cool at a point to rep you guys 305. Were from- it was not cool to see. From what? From Kendall. Yeah, Kendall got, in Miami. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, that was the least coolest place to rep on top of that. <laughs> and now, you know, you got people out here in Miami, like down here repping it. But Dade County, people wouldn't say Dade County in the wow. times that we would say it. We, mm-hmm. we had shirts that had 305. That was unheard of at the time. So, you know, it's, it's been an evolution of, 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 you know, where people can't even conceive a time like that. Wow. Yeah, because now we just know it as that. Like, we just know right. that's what it is. Wow. Yeah. So I also want to ask you, um, this is more so because I know you're like a hip hop historian, like you're the hip hop guy, like, you know, the, so I, know, that, I, know, I don't know everything. I know something. Listen, I watch your podcast, and you know, a lot of shit. So, <laughs> but um, so I want to ask you now that there's new music out, the newer kids um, are out. What is it about 
people that are so in love with hip hop that now that there's new school music out, it's kind of a disconnect. To you, what is the disconnect between hip hop and what's going on now, the new hip hop? Hip hop is subjective, like the music of it and, and it's an art form. So whether you like it, you like it, or you don't like it. That's up to each individual person. Mm-hmm. The disconnect though, I've, I've, my opinion has always been that when hip hop started making money, like the music of hip hop in the industry mm-hmm. started making money, then people can understand there's the industry and then there's hip hop culture. Those are two different things. Yes. They, they come together, but they're two different things. Mm-hmm. So when the industry side of it made a lot of money in the heydays of, of the music industry with before streaming came into play in the internet, right. they were being, you know, the industry was greedy the artists were getting a ton of money. And I just think that there was a lot of young artists that had obviously never seen that kind of money before. Mm-hmm. They were trying to, they were, they thought that she was going to last forever. Right. So I feel like, you know, you, you come from nothing and you get all this money. You think you're going to sit there and worry about the culture. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're, 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 that's the last thing that we're, they're like, Oh shit, I'm making millions of dollers right now. Exactly. Fuck, fuck a cult. Like, you know, it's in a sense, they're still, everybody's selling out. Uh-huh. And my opinion is that that era, which is my generation of people, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Which is like the, the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, like that yep. decade between the 95 to 2005. Mm-hmm. I feel that that generation of artists were making so much bread that they were like, you know what, man, we're going to be young forever. We're going to make this money. Mm. It was not concerned with passing down the torch or passing down information or looking for the future of how to like nurture the culture to, to bring in the next generation of people. And what happens is you had like fatherless children in a sense. Yep. The artists, the younger artists are like, all right, that's the disconnect. There's mm-hmm. that disconnect. So then these guys are too busy in the club popping bottles. My generation, yeah. the younger artists are not getting any, any kind of direction. So now the internet's coming in and that's where you get the soldier boys and these guys, they start taking advantage of all the technology and yeah. they do it how they want to do it because they have no other direction. Wow. So, so, that, so that, that that's makes, my opinion. That's my opinion. Right. And that makes a lot of sense, though, because if you think about the street culture, too, that's how it was that era, 95, 2005, it was everybody was focused on being young and they forgot about being OGs and, and bringing up the youth. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. And hip-hop. then when, and when the OGs got locked up, yeah, taken off the streets, yep. the, you know, th- there was no more rules, no more street code. Mm-hmm. And it was a free for all. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, man. And and honestly, I feel like hip hop's kind of kind of getting back to it. There's some young kids that are coming up. I don't know if you heard of Corday. Um, yeah, Lil, Lil Baby's even really lyrical. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's coming back. It's got a different sound, but it's definitely coming back. So I'm actually proud of that. So you um, I just have a few more questions here. Yeah, so sure. you um, have is Colombian white. Is that your liquor? So I'm a I'm a I'm part owner of the company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my homies from down here in Kendall. They're mm-hmm. Colombian dudes. It's, it's Aguardiente is uh, like the national liquor of Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's in translated. It's a uh, fire water. Oh, okay. And so so you know they they put me onto it. I, I grew up around Colombians. You know I'm Cuban, but I grew up around a lot of Colombians. Mm-hmm. Whenever they would have like weddings and parties, they would all take shots of this stuff. At the time, I thought it was crazy drink. I was like, man, <laughs> this is nuts. And then my boys were like, yo, we got this formula that we created of the same drink. And I was wow. like, man, this is kind of smooth. And I felt like there was a lane. So boom, they, you know, I got involved in the company and, and so Colombian white and, and we're distributed uh, regionally right now in the South. Eventually it'll go national. 
Okay. Yeah. And that's, that was one of my questions I was going to ask, but I was, I was going to say you're Cuban, but got a Colombian, uh, bev- oh, yeah. I, don't, uh, I don't discriminate by, by race or culture <laughs> or ethnicity. <laughs> I don't know. Cause you're always like, I'm Cuban. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I'm always, I'm always going to put on like, that's my thing. I'm always going to put yeah. on for Miami, for the South, for, uh, <laughs> for, for who I am Cuban. Like yeah. I'm going to put on, but then I'm going to keep going. Like then the next is all my Latinos, you know, <laughs> is this, uh, you know, down the uh, line. Right. So then um, also, whenever you're on a show, you're on Drink Champs, it got a little crazy. Um, Diddy's episode got a little crazy. So is there times where you're like, all right, these guys are getting crazy. Like, I'm going to just fake my shot. Like, I'm going to act like I took a shot. <laughs> did you Did you ever think about it? Nah, I mean, my girl wants me to fake my shots all the time. <laughs> you know, but I just feel like Drink Champs is the environment where you just can't fake it because then, it, then it's just completely fake. The whole thing is yeah. fake. Yeah. And, you know, there'll be times you might see one one of us or both of us turn down like, OK, I, I'm going to skip yeah. this round. Uh-huh. Like, like to me, you, I'd rather just be real about like, yo, I can't this round. Hold <laughs> up. I'll, uh-huh. I'll get the next one, you know, because I might, I might have to catch my breath. Right. <laughs> but uh, but now nah, I welcome that craziness, man, because mm-hmm. that to me is the fun shit, man, when we get all crazy like that. But then, you know, we all have like our own drinks. You know, we've matured in drink champs. Like now I drink beer I, before I used to drink liquor. Yeah, I've liquor. noticed. <laughs> now I'm a beer drinker when I'm drinking shots of Mama Juana, which is Dominican, by the way. <laughs> and um, Nori's drinking champagne. He's fancy. You know, he yeah. got the Jay-Z approved champagne. Yeah. So, so, so now we drink what we're, we're used to and it kind of like keeps us in the game a little longer mm-hmm. yeah no and that's good because i was going to ask that too because it can't be good for your health no definitely it can't be good yeah. but so yeah like that you you were able to mature in it and know like okay my limits here like okay i'm beer instead of just shot 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 so that's good that you're growing and yeah i do see nori he's, he lets everyone know too that it's that it's um approved by jay-z so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um some expensive ass bottles right <laughs> so that i do want to ask now what it and oh i do want to talk about because i just recently had twins i got newborn twins oh congratulations thank, man thank you thank you so i've been listening to your show fatherhood's podcast you and your Dope. boys kgb and um manny digital man, yeah so i've been listening to that and I appreciate what you guys are doing with that because Thank you. Um, as a new father with no one really to, you know what I'm saying? No father to tell me, like, help me out. It's good to hear like other guys going through the same shit that I'm going through Yeah. and able to, you know what I'm saying? Understand that because I just want to let you know, I appreciate that. And to talk about father, was that going on while drink chance started or was that something new? We started fatherhoods maybe like maybe two, three years ago. Okay. Maybe. Um, and you know, a, as you notice, like I'm always trying to like pivot and do different things. Yeah. Kind of still feel uh, related to everything I do to the mm-hmm. brand. Like yep. you're never gonna see me go off and do some country related shit. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's all related, and I felt, and I always want to mature and evolve too. Like, mm-hmm. not not just I'm not gonna just rep the 19 year old me. I gotta continue to evolve and rep the who I am today, the 45 year old me. So right, exactly. You know. I became a father in my life as of recently. I got two kids. I got a toddler and a baby. And before I had my daughter, my boys who had kids, because all my friends had kids young. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would call them up and, you know, consult them with what's going, you know, like what to expect and, you know, get all different angles. And we just thought, man, you know, like maybe this is something that we could kind of create this publicly public platform of 
like a podcast where there's like-minded people who need the same information, right? Who talk like us, you know, without better words, hip hop fathers, you know, hip hop dads, right? Exactly. And and you know, and that we speak the same language, and so we're like, yeah, man, like let's do it, because mm-hmm. we were doing it behind the scenes regularly, right? You know, without the mics, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And then then we invite artists and, and and different people from the from the industry and within the culture to talk about their experiences, and everybody you know has different experiences. And the other thing too is to break that stigma that that people that misconception that people are like fathers in hip hop are deadbeat dads, which is never right. been true. Yeah. You know? So that was another thing we wanted to make sure people understood that that wasn't true and show showcase the father that's in the hip hop industry and in, within the culture and what right. they're you know how they father you know. Yeah, and that's and that's because a lot of people you know growing up where where we grew up from it's like the father is hardly there, never there. So like I said, it's refreshing to have someone in hip hop that, you know, that we respect to be able Thank to you, give that type of advice. So um, we, we lay it all out, man. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's all authentic. And I'm like, that's a fact. Like I do that shit too. So yo, for so you no. with twins, make sure you follow my homie recognized from the group Mayday. He has mm-hmm. twins as well. You know, follow him on Instagram and he'll, he posting all these stuff about his twins. So you guys can relate okay. that. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely um, get his information after this. If I don't find him on here, but um, but yeah, no. So so what's next? We'll wrap it up here. What's what's next? I know we got a lot to talk about. Like we could go for hours on you, but right. <laughs> so what is next for DJ EFN? Um, you got Drink Champs. You got Fatherhood Podcast. You guys actually have your own podcast distribution company as well. Yes and no. I mean, we've been we've been talking about it for years, and and. And we totally haven't put it together because my whole thing, my perspective is I don't want to launch the network until the network is something that's really going to provide for the content creators and and do it the right way. Mm -hmm. I don't want to half-ass it. Um, But, you know, we've been working on it for a while and it's just a matter of getting certain pieces together. But we produce and co-produce a bunch of other podcasts. We got the Smoke Champs podcast that just, you know, we've been producing is about to launch officially. We got, um, I got Fatherhoods. I got one called Lost in Translation. My boys are doing Grumpy OGs. We got, um, I mean, there's just a million yeah, podcasts. Yeah. Like my thing with podcasts is like, if I think of an idea, mm-hmm. I do proof of concept. And I just, I got, I got a little podcast studio here in my office. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I bring, I tell people, okay, this is my idea. Let's, let's record it. Wow. You know, and I, and so I have a, a, you know, hundreds of anything of podcasts <laughs> that I've been co-producing or producing. And then besides that, man, um, I do a film series called Coming Home where mm-hmm. I travel to different countries and, and, you know, explore the country through hip hop, through their yeah. hip hop culture. And so we are, we just wrapped up the post-production for our sixth film in the series. We went to South Africa mm-hmm. and uh, I got some exciting new partnerships that I'm going to be announcing soon with the series Dope. to take the series to the next level. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I really want excited for people to check that out. And I'm involved in a bunch of brands, man. I got my, my Michelada brand, the, the crazy Michi is going to yes. be coming out. Yeah. The, the Michelada cup. Um, I got, you know, we were involved in the cannabis industry. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff coming out, man. Dope. That's, and that's dope to see. And um, I was going to mention the films and was that well, the coming home series that was originally, um, was that with the help of, you were under like uh, Diddy's revolt. Was that with revolt? Or? So they, before drink champs, I licensed the first uh, four films. Well, the first film that I licensed was my coming home Cuba, where I went to Cuba, uh-huh. which is what launched the series. Mm-hmm. And I licensed that film to Revolt the year that they launched. We were the first original, like, content acquisition that they oh, wow. launched 
they launched the network with in 2013. Wow. And that was my first time ever making anything film wise, like a film, right. uh, like that. So it was really exciting and dope. And it kind of inspired for me to do more of them. And that's where the series idea came and, and going to different countries and stuff. Wow, and that's dope. So then the the the, the connection just came full circle. I'm sure Nori already knew Diddy and yeah, you yeah, had the yeah. connection. Our, and then- our circles, we know between me and Nori, we know everybody. I know a lot of people behind the scenes. I've done marketing for all the labels for years. Right. So, you know, our network is vast. And so between him and, you know, and, and the Puff connection and me be, you know, on the other side that I've already licensed stuff to Revolt. Shout out to my boy, Ramon Dukes, who mm-hmm. took us over there, took me to Revolt. They, you know, that was an that, that was a seamless uh, partnership to, to bring Drink right. Champs to Revolt. No, that's dope, man. And I just want to say, like, y'all heard what he said. He got all these things out. He, you're always thinking and you, you kind of remind me of myself. So um, just always thinking, moving forward and, and putting the work in. And I just want to say y'all give flowers, but I want to give you your flowers, man. I feel like you deserve all the appreciation. I feel like you hold that podcast together well. When shit start to sway one side, you bring it back to what's going on. And like, I, I love that that you you know how to um, play your role and play it well. Right. And I just want to say, I want to give you your flowers and the whole hip hop community, the young guys, we love y'all and we appreciate you. And I do appreciate you again, taking your time out to join us here on In Tune In The Cup podcast, man. Thank you, DJ EFN. No, thank you for having me, dog. I appreciate it. No problem, man. And y'all stay tuned. Next week, we got another big one coming up. This is In Tune. My name is AC. Yeah, whoa.